Hello, YouTube channel. This is Brian Foster. Thank you for coming and joining me. We are live on June 9th, 2020. Again, another every Tuesday. We're live on our YouTube channel. Come and join us. Hit the subscribe, hit the bell, hit the like if you please. An exciting night tonight. We're talking about, Gone, again, the book Gone West. And this is about where the JSM Ward, who was the person who was meeting his father-in-law in the spirit world and exploring around the spirit world. He had an outer body experience, right? And, and actually seeing these, these visions and talking to other spirits and learning all about the spirit world. This is back in the early 1900s. So this is more, this book is more than a hundred years old. I have a link to the book. You can get on PDF. It's free. It's a fascinating book and it's good reading for anybody who's interested in in what the spirit world is like now if you really want the you know the the best information is to go to spiritist literature such as um the spirits book and you know my books heaven and below spirits and spirit universe and how we're guided by spirits but this one is very interesting too because i always like seeing different uh points of view when they when, you know just like people seeing the same movie everyone has a little bit different idea and this is this is J.S.M. Ward's, what his experience were, and a lot of it is very parallel to spiritism. There's some some things that I will discuss and kind of give you my opinion on how I think that he may have misinterpreted. But most most of all, I don't think I think he's done a you know a very great job in faithfully reproducing what he went through. So let's begin because this is fascinating. So this is, he's saying that um, he had, a, again, a transvision, and he, he dated this May 18th, 1914. This is what he said. I again saw myself lying asleep on the floor, but now I was on the bed, but this time did not feel nervous. The room seemed to get more and more distant and then grew nebulous. It seemed to be enveloped in a mist, and then gradually this mist took shape and form, became solid and low, the landscape with which I was now familiar. Below me was stretched a beautiful tract of country bathed in a soft evening light. Now he's in the spirit world, so carry on. I floated down onto a grassy hill and saw below me in the valley the town in which H.J.L. now lived. That's his father-in-law who is now in a level, one of the levels of heaven. I'll carry on. Soon I was able to pick out the roofs of the cottages of the college, I should say, and turned my steps in that direction. The route I took led me through a beautiful wood amid the branches of whose trees birds were singing merrily. As I drew nearer the town, I saw the park with statuary and the sculpture gallery, which I had seen before. Anyway, actually, we talked about that in our last uh, meeting. I began to walk through the park, and I noticed how sweetly this flower smelt. Large numbers of spirits were constantly passing me, and several gazed at me intently, as if they felt I was in some way different. At length, two young men stopped and said, Who are you? Are you dead? You do not look quite like one of us, and yet if you are not dead, how come you here? And I replied, No, I'm not dead, but somehow I have developed in such a way recently, since my father-in-law my father-in-law died, that I'm able to come and visit him here and even carry away a remembrance of what I see. 
And then one of them said, well, that's very funny. I wish I'd been able to do that when I was alive. And then the other inquired, can you visit any other planes of existence besides these? And he said, no, but I meet others who have been selected by my father-in-law, and these give me accounts of their experiences in hell and in the plane above and also in the astral plane. Well, the taller of the two said, well, you're jolly lucky. We know practically nothing of either hell or the plane above, though, of course, we do know something of the astral plane. You might tell us something about them. Come, let us sit by the fountain. And I sat down with them and had just begun to relate some of the officer's adventures when I saw H.A.L. hurrying towards me. He was evidently annoyed and said, really, Jack, you ought to have known better than to sit down here chattering when the officer and I are waiting to get to business. And the two strangers at once apologized and explained that it was their fault. H.A.L. answered, well, that's all very well. And I know you meant no harm, but if you want that sort of information, come to me for it and you shall have it. My nephew's work is to give it to those who are alive on earth, not to preach to those who, having died, have come here. Then he said, when we then parted and I went with H.A.L. through the streets, which seemed fairly full of people, into the college. In the room, I found his, the officer waiting. Now, we're going to talk about the officer in uh, later programs, and there's a whole second book about the officer. Now, keep that part uh, and talk about that separately. And it's a very interesting part. And the officer went down into the lowest levels of hell, purgatory, the dark abyss, the spiritism caused it. And it's just, oh, just fascinating, scary and fascinating at the same time. So let's talk about what spiritism tells us about what just what you know what did he see right what did what did jlm see well his description of people walking around people doing things flowers that smell good birds you know the 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 light it's all all you know is all the same as what you get from people like Henri louise going to know solar said that that you know the birds are are there the the flowers are always in bloom. The, the trees are wonderful, right? And, and he said there's a, a soft light. So I would say he's probably in probably an upper level of the umbral in some sort of uh, intermediate place before you get into one of the lower levels of heaven. That's just my guess. I could be wrong. So let's talk about these two guys that didn't know anything about what was going on. And then what do they think? And what, let's talk about what spiritism thinks. So. I'd previously talked about in other videos about the help given to the dying and the souls who have passed over from the physical world to the other side. Now, in the series of books by the spirit Andre Louis, psychographed by Francisco Chico Xavier, I, I heartily recommend all of his books. And you find that Xavier, X-A-V-I-E-R, and put in Francisco Xavier, and you'll find his books. You can also go to my site, NW Spiritism. Click on the picture of Alan Kardec, and then it'll take you to a bookstore. You can find a lot of books by Chico and Alan Kardec and Yvonne Piera and some others. So that you can, you can learn a lot about how people are helped into heaven. But the subject is also reviewed in the Reverend Owen's book, which is a collection of four of his books, which is The Life Beyond the Veil in the Lowlands of Heaven section. And that I, I go his book a lot in my book, Heaven and Below. So, this is what his mother talks about assistance given to the newly dead. She says this, Now let us see if we can impress you to write a few words of the conditions 
which we found when we arrived here, the conditions, that is, of those who pass over here when they first arrive. They are not all of an equal degree of spiritual development, of course, and therefore require different treatment. Many, as you know, do not realize for some time the fact that what they are would be called dead because they find themselves alive and with a body, and their previous vague notions of the after-death state are not by any means lightly thrown away. End quote. Now, have we have seen in spiritist literature, even among those who have the slightest spiritual inclination or knowledge, are quite white, rightly confused. Even those who are spiritual and practice one of the religions are often taken aback. Most are taught we become another being, or we are sent to heaven right away in the form of an angel. We cast off not only our bodies, but our baser characteristics and transform into graceful and noble entities. Imagine the surprise when we find out we are who we are, who we were. We are the same. We just get rid of this physical body. It's like you've just taken off a diving suit and you went to a place which is much better and lighter and more ethereal. Now then, Valon's mother takes us through the regular process to wake up the confused souls who have come over to the spirit realm. This is what she says. The first thing to do then with such as those is to help them realize the fact that they are no more in the earth life. And to do this, we employ methods. One is to ask them whether they remember some friend or relative. And when they reply that they do, but that he or she is dead, we try and enable them to see this particular spirit who appearing alive should convince the doubter that he really is passed over. This is not always the case, for the ingrained fallacies are obstinate, so we try another method. We take him to some scene on earth with which he or she is familiar and show him and her those whom he has left behind and the difference in his or her state and theirs. If this should fail, then we bring to his recollection the last experiences before he passing and gradually lead up to them when he fell asleep. Then we try to connect up that moment with his awakening here. All these endeavors often fail more often than you would imagine, for character is built up year by year, and the ideas which go to help in this building become very firmly embedded in his character. Also, we have to be very careful not to overtax him, or it would delay his enlightenment. Sometimes, however, in the case of those who are more enlightened, they realize immediately that they are passed into the spirit land and our work is easy. So she tells us so a lot. And this is what's so wonderful about the books in, in spiritism. They tell us more. It's not, you know, in most of the other religious texts, is there, there's, it's fuzzy. It's fuzziness. And yet in spiritism, it, it takes that veil away and gives you something to, to grasp onto. It's something that's, that you, you really understand that, okay, you're okay. You are immortal. And when you pass over, you're going to be the, you know, you're going to be the age you want to appear. You're going to be healthy, all that. So this is why it's, it's very important to understand what spiritism is telling us, because then once we understand what's on the other side, we start to understand why we're here. Let's get back to how spirits are helped. 
So the last thing that most of us expect to be when we die is the continuation of what we were before death. Now, Andre Louise wished to explore exactly how a spiritually aware person felt after their death. Now, in the book, Workers of the Life Eternal, psychographed by Chico Xavier, Andre Louise is given permission to ask questions to Demas, that's the person who just passed away. Now, Demas was an untiring medium. He worked for the good of incarnates and discarnates. So hence, Andre was part of a spirit team who was sent to help Demas disconnect from his physical life. It is worth noting that one of the main obstacles was the desire of his family for him to recover and once more be part of their life. The thoughts emanating from Demas's wife and children kept him tied to earth. The spirit team had to resort to the camouflage of making Demas appear to recover so his family would leave the spirit team a few hours of peace to begin the process to bring Demas over to the spirit realm. Let me stop there for a second. This happened with my own mother. I'm sure this happens to a lot of people. Is you know, the family's around the person who is is not in good shape, who is dying, and but and yet somehow like oh they, they look like they're getting better. We can go home and have dinner, or we can go out, or we can just go rest for a minute. And the spirit world does that because this is where you have to understand how thought is action in the spirit world, and even our thoughts in our physical world. If our thoughts are, we don't want that person, you know, please let that person live, is they're, you're holding them into that body who is really ready to go to a much better place most of the time. And, you know, so if, the, if your friend, family, whatever, was a good person, you should say, I know you're in bad shape. God bless you. If you go in the spirit world, be happy, right? Say, say, be happy. Please, other spirits, give this person all the support they need. And don't hold them back because you're actually doing them a disservice. So, so then Demas died, right? When the family left, they, they had some time alone. He's placed in a coffin, and the coffin was taken to the cemetery where the funeral procession included at least 20 discarnates, including the newly departed. So Demas was at his own funeral. And at at the ceremony where Demas is being buried, Andre asks his director, can he pose some questions to Demas? And the director gives his permission. So Andre turns to Demas and says, are you still experiencing any physical pain? And he said, well, I still have a clear impression of the body I've just left behind, but I have noticed that in wishing to remain close to my own loved ones and to continue on where I've been for so many years, I relive all the suffering that I endured. However, when I resign myself to accepting the higher designs, I immediately feel lighter and comforted despite the short amount of time I have been awake. I have already been able to make such an observation. And then Andre says, well, what about your five senses? And he says, well, they're in perfect working order. He goes, well, Andre says, do you feel hunger? And he says, well, I can actually tell that my stomach is empty and I would be glad if I had something to eat. But this physical desire is neither uncomfortable nor torturing. And Andre says, what about, are you thirsty? He goes, yes, although I do not suffer because of it. This is what's great about Henri Luis. He poses the questions we'd all like to know. There are an enormous am amount of number of gems of information in each one of Andre Luis's books. Of course, that's all by the author, by the psychograph, uh, spirit medium, uh, Chico Xavier. And I encourage anyone listening to this, discover more about the spirit world by reading 
there's, there's like, I think, 13 books by Andre Louis, starting with No Solar. And there's actually, uh, there's a movie called Celestial City, which you can rent. It's in Portuguese, but is is subtitled in English. It's a wonderful movie. I bought that. I think it was only like $3.99. So it was, I would, it was something we watch once a year. It's just a wonderful movie. So there you have it. You know, Demas was who he was. Yet he didn't feel hungry. He didn't suffer as he suffered in his physical body. And, you know, his, his, his mind was starting to detach itself. That's why it's important, again, as I said, let your, let your ones, your loved ones that passed away, just wish them all the good luck, right? Wish them all support. Don't wish them back here because you're actually making them feel bad. Wish them, hey, have a great time and, you know, and I'll be there with you at some time. And, you know, if you can't help me while I'm on this world, give me a, you know, give me, give me some advice. So. Let's go back to Val Owen's mother. So he, she tells us of an actual case she was on. So she and a group were sent to assist a woman who were on the cusp of passing over. And they arrived to see the dying lady surrounded by sad friends. And all were extremely sorry to see her leave the earth. And then, and then she said, I'll quote now. She fell asleep and the cord of life was severed by our watching friends. And then softly they awoke her. She looked up and smiled very, very sweetly at the kind face of one who leaned over her. She lay there perfectly happy and content until she began to wonder why these strange faces were around her in place of the nurses and friends she had last seen. She inquired where she was, and when she was told, a look of wonder and of yearning came over her face, and she asked to be allowed to see the friends she had left, and this was granted her, and she looked on them through the veil and shook her head sadly. If only they could know, she said, how free from pain I am now and comfortable. Can you not tell them? And then Valon's mother said, said, well, we tried to do so, but only one of them heard, and I think he only imperfectly and soon put it away as a fancy. We took her from that scene, and after she had somewhat gained strength to a children's school where her little boy was, he must have passed before some years before she had died. And when she saw him, her joy was too great for words. And that boy had been placed in that school ever since she had died. So then the child became the instructor to his mother. And this sight was a pretty one to see. He led her about the school and the grounds and showed her the different places and his schoolmates. And all the while, his face being with the delight and so did his mother's. We left her a while. And then when we returned, we found those two sitting in an arbor, and she was telling him about those she had left behind, and he was telling her of those who had come before and whom he had met, and of his life in the school, and it was as much as we could do to tear her away with a promise that she should return soon and often to her boy. So, for those who have lost children, and those who, who when I just say that the mother is taken from her child, don't worry. The mother was taken to a place where she could recuperate a little bit more, and after re her release, she would be back working with her son. But also for those who have lost children, they're all taken care of, and they're in wonderful areas in the spirit world. Now, some children who are more mature spirits, because, you know, after all, we're immortal spirits, they will revert back to their mature level. Other children will, will be re-raised in the spirit world. Now, also, before I forget, 
as this lady who fell asleep and wanted to see her friends. When my mother died, she was in a hospital and she was going to have a pacemaker put into her. And then after the operation, we came and visited her. And then we and said, okay, she's in the ICU. She was going to be here that night. And we went home. And about two o'clock at night, we got a call saying my mother passed away. And then I went back to bed. It's a very interesting. And when we visited her, before I go on the, what happened the next day, before we visited her, we talked to her. She goes, oh, she goes, you know, the doctor, the doctor came and looked at me like he really loved me. And I was thinking, I should have, I should have, that should have been a hint of what was going to happen that night. And I, and I thought, I think that's my dad who had passed away before. I don't think the doctor was looking at you like he really loved you, but I could be wrong, right? I didn't think of it. So the next morning I woke up and I walked into her room because she lived with us. And I just felt her presence like, just like I knew it was my mom. And I said, mom goes, why are you here? You, you've passed off. You should be in heaven. Now open your eyes and look for dad. He's there. So I'm sure he's somewhere around you. Look for him. You are in great place. And, you know, we're going to pray for you. And I said, you know, there's a heaven, right? Because we've been talking about spiritism with her. And I, I just tell you, I, I mean, I just, I could feel her right there. There was just no doubt in my mind. And so I thought that was very interesting. So, and there are many examples like this, right? And there's, and, and there, and in the 1850s, when Alan Kardec first codified spiritism to the present, we've been given a clear and consistent picture of what death really is from, and this is what's the wonderful thing about the uh, internet, because people are now being able to show their near-death experiences, what heaven is like, and meeting other family members who have passed on and talking to them when they are in heaven. So then all of this happened, and then, then a medium wrote me, and a very wonderful woman. And she, this is what she emailed me. She says, you know, you know, I didn't, I didn't know. She goes, you know, my most recent events are involved. She goes, Xavier's no solar. Goes, I was someone who remembers being a helper, someone who helped people pass off. Goes, it was exciting to to see home identified. She, she goes, she had not been aware of spiritism, and she thought no one would ever you know, be sympathetic with her point of view about how the spirit world really was. But here it was, everything she has known in her life on her own is all, you know, is is all backed up by what she now starting to read in spiritism literature, my books and other spiritist literature. So then she said, because I worked at home, because I must have worked there for hundreds of years helping spirits. Then I came back here to learn some new things for a couple of short lifetimes, plus this one. Anyway, I want to vouch for home as reality. The details about its structure might vary, but it is an amazing place of love, of love. And from home, you can access any place on earth. It's not uncommon for people who have reached the helper level to enter the dreams of the embodied, which can be done directly from home to offer help and advice. Now, when she says home, probably one of the spirit colonies, right, above whatever geographical location she, that uh, that she had, had died and went, went over. And so there's different 
sets of helpers in different geographical locations. And at that level, when you're helping people, you're not speaking mind to mind. Sometimes, sometimes you got to speak, you know, English speaker to English speaker or Chico Xavier's no solar Portuguese to Portuguese, etc. So, so she had um, just amazed. And she said, you know, it's in her mind because it is, you know, everyone's death is different and everyone's arrival. It seems to be a little bit different. You see, she goes, but remember the good news is someone like me, what I used to do anyway, will meet you where you are and help you through the process. And of course, she is completely correct. In Andre Luis's book, there are many instances of spirit helpers assisting people from their deathbeds. Now, unfortunately, people who are not who have not lived a good life, who are criminals, or are unfortunately a lot of times if they were suicides. They have to remain in the umbrella until their normal death, suicides, until their normal death would have occurred. So if they were 60 when they committed suicide, they were going to die when they were 65. They'd have to spend five years. They'd be taken to a place and have to spend five years in the umbrella. Not, not the greatest place, not a very good place. Other more criminal spirits will show them waking up in some one of the lower zones or in the dark abyss, which also you can call purgatory. And there's actually one of the books called, um, uh, Paul and Albert uh, by G. Val Owen about this doctor in the early 1900s in England who died and woke up in one of the, you know, in this rough shack. He was a little bit, he shrunk, his clothes were old, and he says, what happened to me? And then this whole, and I talk about it in my book, Heaven and Below, of course, I talk about not only just heaven, but also the lower zones about what happened to him and how he was eventually able to rise into one of the lower levels of heaven. But he was a very selfish, materialistic person who had committed some crimes. So then let's get back to the medium who wrote me. She could convey some of her recollections. She goes, I remember many instances of having to adjust my vibration to see what the new arrival was seeing. People often see their place of work or their home or the beach or hell if they think that is where they are going. I had to help them through that. So, for instance, one man wanted to find his office, so I helped him, and while we located his office, we talked. At some point when the time is right, I'd always ask, do you remember what you were doing just before you met me here? And this conversation would eventually lead them to the realization that they had passed on to the next life. Then and only then could I lead them to home for what amounted to sessions with a social worker examining their lives. It wasn't judgmental. It was more like what went well, what could have been better, etc. And sometimes I felt bad when people were sent back, which would only happen after the counselor and the person both agreed this was the best. Now, now you could have, I want to go over one thing. She says, I remember having to adjust my vibration to see what the new arrival was seeing. People often see their place of work or their home. So imagine this person, the, the helper, this medium, sees this person in a glade, right? A parkland setting. This person sees himself in an office, maybe. How can that be? Well, again, remember thought is action. And remember that this person created the environment he wanted to see. It's when you're, there's no distance in the spirit world. There's absence or presence. 
this medium had to adjust her vibration. She had to get to the same harmony and vibration as this person newly died. Then she could see what he was seeing. He was in a different environment than she was. It, it, this is a really interesting point. This shows you how much power in the mind that you have. And that's why there's they, in a lot of books in by Chico Xavier, they talk about volatation. You move by the speed of thought. If you're in one of the levels of heaven, you move by the speed of thought down to earth. But a lot of it is you're you're not physically moving. You are changing your vibration and your harmony, and you're going through the 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 database and changing the state of where you are and being in a different state in a different environment. Now, that might be too complex for people, but the, 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 the summary of is that you create the environment somewhat. Some people say when you go to heaven, you create your own heaven. But I have to, you have to temper everything I just said as far as the ability of your own mind, that you are in the domain of other spirits. And the thoughts of other spirits, especially if you're not mature, right, will, will influence you to see what they see. So when this person becomes in harmony with this helper and they, you know, they either touch or something like that, or she, you know, so helps them understand, he will then, he or she will just pass over will then begin to be in that same that same environment. And so when you pass over and you're into one of the levels of heaven, where superior spirits probably made the buildings and other spirits are there all thinking, yeah, this is where we are. That becomes real to you. Just as real as you know, a wall here is on earth. But as you get higher and higher, then you can move yourself from environment to environment. So I hope this makes sense. So again, what she what she wrote, then at the end she wrote, she goes, she goes, I also remember a very take charge upper class kind of man who mostly sneered and barked orders at me. And I wrote her back. I said, oh, you know what? That could have been me because, you know, before my rough edges, which I still have them, but before, you know, they were softened by discovery of spiritism, I could see myself dying, goes saying, well, you incompetent, where am I? And, this, and then she goes, okay, I'll tell you about this. This is what I remember. And she says, well, time doesn't m mean much when you're home, but the incident I referred to was probably in the 1800s. The gentleman was a victim of an accident on a sailing ship and found himself on shore looking out at the water. He saw me and demanded I summon a carriage to take him into town. He wanted to get in touch with his family and tell them what happened. He was kind of surly in that way. Very interesting, is it not? Let me change this. And he was and he was surly in the way that people who expect others to jump and when they speak tend to be. So I explained in a loving and compassionate way that his transportation would be along soon. And why don't we talk while we wait? So he complained about the lack of service and general incompetence of others, along with my perceived lack of helpfulness. And we sat on the hillside and waited, and he talked a bit of his life. I don't remember the details, though. Eventually, as he calmed down, though still frustrated, I asked the question, do you remember what you were doing just before you met me here? Then he told me about being on the ship and how it healed over, and he got knocked into the water, and he thought, 
Well, so do you remember how you got here? He goes, no, I don't remember. I swam the shore would be my guess. And then she said, well, that's interesting. Why aren't you wet? And he goes, I don't know. I dried off. Really? When did that happen? And so on. And eventually a light clicked. And he says, did I die? She said, yes, your feelings are true. Listen to them. You can see this place is not where you were and you don't know how you got here. And this will tell you what you want to know. Then he says, well, what happens now? Because come, I will show you. And I stood up and reached out to him. And he stood up and took my hand. And as we turned away from the sea, a city had not seen before seemed to rise up before us. We're going home, I said, come. And they walked together home. So this is where Spiritism is arranging these messages, these recollections, these books to notify us of what lies beyond our mere physical existence. Now, let's go back into the, the book Gone West. So then H.A.L. said, I found myself floating, this is his next vision, in June 1st, 1914. I found myself floating over my body, then began to whirl away into space. I seemed to pass through the ceiling into the open air, but yet was able to look right into my bedroom. Then the room became misty and vanished. I seemed to be whirling on and on amid clouds and mist, and it seemed like a long journey, but at length the mist began to take form. At first these were fantastic in shape, some like castles and cliffs, others like dragons and monsters, then fairy cities, minarets, and cupolas. At length these vanished, and as the mist rolled away, I saw a vast landscape stretching away beneath me. First I saw high mountains, an arid desert, and beyond these a great wall of darkness. I appeared to be traveling away from this wall of darkness, and gradually the landscape became less foreboding. The rocking mountains became clothed with forests, the deserts covered with grass. By degrees, it developed into a beautiful country I now knew so well, bathed in that curious and evening glow. Concentrating my mind on Old Queen's College, he was saying there's a replica of the Old Queen's College in heaven where his, his friend is. HJL. I seemed to increase the speed of my flight. Also, for for a moment, I found myself actually in HJL's room. And he, then he says, "Oh, boss," I said, "What do animals such as fowl, who spend their whole life on Earth hunting for food, do on this plane? They can have no occupation." And then HJL said, "Well, while they are on the astral plane, most animals still endeavor to get food." They go on grubbing about for it, and it is only by degrees that they learn that any food they appear to find is but a delusion, and that, in fact, they do not need it. Once that stage is reached, the animal generally passes onto this plane. Many animals, such as the most of the carnivore, seem quite unable to learn this lesson, and remain on the astral plane still hunting astral deer, which they never catch. And then he asks, are there men who go on hunting animals which they never catch? And HGL says, yes, or even fox hunters, horses and all, but sooner or later they weary of the empty sham, for they never catch anything. Usually, however, the tables are reversed, and the hunter upon the earth becomes hunted there. Man, back, man is back in the primitive world without the age of weapons, and is again liable to the life of fear which our early ancestors suffered. Not till he has learned the great secret, the power of the human will, is he free again from that fear. But you must remember that this time a man who runs foul of the astral animals is the man who has hunted them on earth. 
all men don't have exactly the same experience on the astral plane any more than they do on this plane. And when animals reach this plane, they have done so because they have other interests besides eating. At times, they still cast back and feebly hunt around. I know occasionally Molly misses a bone just as I do my pipe. Now, Molly is his, his dog. He goes, and then JW, the meeting goes, why, there's Molly. And as I spoke, Molly emerged from under a sofa and came up to me wagging her tail in a quite friendly way. And then HAL continued, animals here have far more closely attached to us than they ever do on Earth. They certainly understand us better, and this compensates for the loss of more material amusements. You can see, as we can perceive each other's thoughts, so we can, through a lesser extent, perceive the animal's thoughts. They, too, visualize, but the difference lies in this. The average animal, not having learned to think clearly, as we have, can only visualize a muddled sort of an idea, but they tend to improve. Of course, their ideas, at best, are very simple. Still, it creates a bond of sympathy, which is largely absent on Earth. Now, now look at Molly's thought. And he goes, then he says, I, I looked intently, but I could perceive nothing at first. I can't see anything. Perhaps she's not thinking of anything in particular. And H.A.L. says, no, on the contrary, she is thinking very deeply for a dog. That's why I thought you'd be able to see it. Though, of course, you've not had any practice in developing that faculty. However, try again. Empty your mind of all personal thoughts and concentrate it on Molly. Fix your eyes on the tip of her nose. And I laughed at the last sentence he said, wrote, but followed all of his instructions. After a moment, the whole room seemed to fade away, including even the dog herself. And in its place was a kind of light, which grew into a picture similar to the clairvoyant pictures one sees in the crystal. And then I saw Carrie, which is daughter, sitting in the boat at Weybridge, which is a town, and Molly herself seated in the prow. The, mo the boat moved out of the boathouse into the river, and Carrie, who was wearing a white jersey, was rowing. There was no one else in the boat. Then the vision the vision changed, and I saw Molly and Carrie seated in the garden at Weybridge. Tea was brought out, and Molly proceeded to lie down for a piece of cake. Then H.A.L.'s voice broke in. Well, Jack, could you see your thoughts that time? He goes, yes, but how could you know? And H.A.L. said to the spirit, because I could see both your thoughts and hers, and they corresponded. We get fairly expert in reading, reading people's thoughts here, but of course you are new to it. Well, I think that answers your question fairly well. You can easily understand that the more closely associated with man and animal is, the more it will develop. The more it develops, the more complicated will be the ideas which it will be able to remember or understand. And so communication between men and animals will become easier. For example, that thought of Molly was fairly complicated. Many animals would have managed nothing more than a face of their mistress. If we wish to communicate an idea to an animal, we have to think of some very simple idea. Because now watch, I'm going to think of Blanche. And at once Molly jumped up and wagged her tail. I perceived she was looking at the at the boss. Between both of them appeared a vision of Blanche, about two, year, two years old, but whereas H.A.L. saw her in the garden, Molly only saw Blanche with no particular background. I knew this because Blanche stood out very clearly, while the garden was much fainter. I knew by instinct that this was because Molly has grasped the idea of Blanche, but not the complicated idea of where the garden was. Then it vanished. Yes, she got the idea. First, all you know, all 
All right, said H.L., but did not grasp that I meant at this particular place. I dare say if you were to think of her at the garden, she'd grasp that all right. And the remembrance of the garden in connection with Blanche would be so much clearer to her. So then I tried at once, and Molly got very excited, jumped on her hind legs, and began to walk towards me. At the same time, I saw the vision of Blanche at the tennis lawn, and the background was nearly, though not quite, as clear as Blanche. In short, Molly has perceived practically the whole idea I had desired to convey. Then it faded again, and Molly retired once more under the sofa. And then H.A.L. said, how high the most intelligent animals can travel with us, I can't say. But you will see that there are possibilities of development for, the, for them here, lacking on Earth. Of course, by telepathy, even on Earth, animals are able to read our thoughts to a limited extent. But in general, in the manner of the cruder passions, such as fear of them or dislike. Further, they are often helped, even in these cases, by involuntary movements of our own. So let me stop there for a second. A lot of there's a lot here. Animals will come with us into the spirit world, right? So HL knew Molly as Molly's dog, right? Molly followed HL into the spirit world, and the vice versa is true. The great late great medium uh, Francisco C. Xavier was sitting next to a woman, and she had a, a dog on her lap, and he said. Excuse me, do you know how long you've had that dog? And she goes, oh, I don't know, three years. And he goes, no, you've had that dog for 500 years. That dog has followed you in life after life. That's what the wonderful thing about the animals, right? And that they do that. I, I swear, um, our, our dog must have known our son because he, you know, she bonded with him like, and she wasn't even with him for the first six, seven months of her life. But as soon as she saw him, that was it. She was his dog. None of us had a say about it. So, you know, if you think you've had that special pet, now you can also have pets that, you know, they weren't that intelligent. I've had pets that, you know, weren't that great. I mean, they were all wonderful, loving, but they just weren't that special pet, I should say. But when you have that special pet that just like knows you and you feel that connection, that is probably a pet that's followed you. Now, spiritism also tells us that as we advance and we go into higher and higher worlds, like right now we're on the planet of Atoma going to a planet of regeneration, the intelligence of the animals in these higher worlds will also be increased. So then we can start communicating mind to mind and they'll be able to take more and more advanced ideas when we ask them to do something. You know, it could be like, okay, you know, that commercial where he tells the doctor, we'll get him a beer. That could be possible in the next level of interplanetary regeneration. Who knows? But I'm just saying those, you know, the dog will be able to, to get much more uh, intricate thoughts. So, Anyway, let me go on that on the subject. So he, then he says, J.W. goes, well, thanks. He goes, how are we communicating now? We, we appear to be talking. And H.A.L. says, by telepathy, our minds are used to the idea of talking, translated into words. But of course, we do not actually work, use words here. You would perceive the force of this at once if you're communicating with a Frenchman. To him, you would appear to be talking in French. And to you, it would seem to be speaking in English. 
is only when we get to the earth plane and try to communicate through a medium that we have to employ actual language. Now, what he's saying is true to an extent. It depends on the level of the spirit. And the higher the spirits talk mind to mind and they use words. But there's in the books by G. Bao Owen, which I talk about in the second book, Spirits and the, you know, the Attributes of Spirits, there are three methods of communication that is used. One is talking mind to mind, right? And you're using those words. The other is you flash pictures. And so what they'll say, many times they'll use a combination of words and pictures. And that's not just for someone right next to you. That could be someone in five levels down in heaven or a spirit on earth, right? Trying to help someone and you're, you're talking to them and saying, I need you to go here and you'll, you'll give the words and you'll give the place, the picture of where that person needs to be. And what they'll say is what happens when you give this picture, it looks like a little spark coming out of your mouth. And I found that fascinating because then I thought, remember in the, the book of revelation and they talked about, you know, this Jesus on the throne and swords, lightning would come out of his mouth as he was giving people's orders. And this was corresponded in the books. And person was saying that, yeah, when you send that picture, it's like a little flash leaves your mouth and it goes to wherever, you know, you're trying to send it to. And so this is, I mean, here it is in the New Testament. And, you know, and there's evidence backed up to it in, in spiritism. It's just so exciting when you, when you see these things. And it's, it's, uh, it's revelatory. It makes you feel good about the spirit world. Now, another way of communication is is that they will also when they can when they need you, is they will physically talk to you, right? They can talk to you through sound vibrations, and if the spirit isn't very advanced, is and if you're talking to them in a certain language, they may or may not understand it. But this is what happens. So if you have a spirit on the lower zone, what happens is if for all the lives that you lead, you your paraspirit will pick up the different languages. So whatever, whatever, like this lower spirit is talking to you, whatever language, if you had been in a life where you spoke language, say you, you spoke a Tagalog or Spanish, right? And in some previous life, that person would speak to you in that and it'd be automatically translated by your paraspirit into whatever language you're comfortable in, English or whatever, Portuguese. And so that is another way of how uh, spirits communicate, you know, even even when there's there's voices going on, um, and if and one of and one of the spirits, I mean, maybe like you know, uh, the person who doesn't really understand, really quite grasp the ability to read minds yet, the person talked to them. If he had, if he talked to the Frenchman, and the Frenchman wasn't able to talk to his mind directly, if he'd ever incarnated in in France before in a French speaking place, he would understand him because your paraspirit is, is the automated uh, translator. That just shows you how this data stays with you, right? Our data is always there with us. That's, and this is the, you know, the universal cloud of the, of the Supreme intelligence. This is always here. 
So then he, he goes on to say, when we perceive each other's thoughts, our minds turns this perception into sight. Both are related to telepathy, but for the sake of distinction, we can correlate perception of visions with clair clairvoyance. We can employ either method for communicating, this when he's talking. With men, telepathy is slightly the easier. It seems to require less will exertion. With animals, however, I find the vision is the best method, probably because they have never spoken on earth. But of course, both methods merge. Even in our own case, when the officer has been telling you his adventures, you have at times not merely heard, but seen what he went through. And J.W. goes, yes, that is, that is so. Though when writing these visits down, I had not realized it. Well, you realized it now. So this is, this is um, another glimpse into the spirit universe of how we communicate as spirits, how there's universal communication, how we can communicate with lower spirits who, you know, not into a lower, lower level of heaven, uh, into the lower zone or the embrow, they call it in Portuguese, in the dark abyss, which is a type of purgatory where they can still read thoughts, but then other people may, may not be able, it depends on their level and how aware they are. A lot of people are very confused when they're in, in purgatory. God bless them all. So, I hope this helps you explore some of the aspects of, of, of the spirit world and of heaven and other places. There, it's alive. It's organized. This is, this is, I know this is strange for people thinking that this heaven is some amorphous thing and, you know, to be meld into the whole or be who we are. And the answer is no, you, you are. In fact, many people don't even know they're dead, just like as, as I was talking about, because you feel everything's real. Just like on this earth, we feel everything's real. But the difference is you have so much more power. You have the power of your mind, and that is trained into you. So the more when you're in heaven, you go to schools, you go up from one level to another, another level, you have more. Just as I talk about in spirit, spirit universe, you when you go from one level of heaven to the next, you don't just graduate with a piece of paper. You're given more attributes. You're given more power. You're given more ability to roam because you can go from whatever level you're at. You can always go down. You're free to roam wherever you are down, not up because you can't really stand that. You're not ready for that environment, but you can roam all other places. And for so that world is so fantastic that I hope this gives you a glimpse of why we go through what we go through here on Earth. Let me just explain that for a minute. Spiritism tells us we are on earth to become eventually a pure spirit. What do I mean by pure spirit? Now, if you want an example, that is Jesus Christ. More close to home, what that means to us is we have to remove the primitive emotions, hate, envy, jealousy, thirst for, you know, revenge, all of that. And put that with honesty, charity, fraternity, the good emotions. Now, it's so easy for me to say that, but in practice, it is much harder. Because here on earth, we think, you know, if I can just keep my mouth shut, no one will know how what I think of that other person, right? And as I walk by someone who I don't like, for whatever reason, the way they dress or whatever, they won't know it. I can think that to myself, but it's hidden. 
It doesn't work in the spirit world. If you walk by someone and you're thinking, oh, that person's horrible, that, that person will be like, why are you thinking that? So what is needed and what people should start working on now, and believe me, I've been working on that for years and years and years and still not where I want to be, but I'm getting better, is to control our thoughts because thought is action in the spirit world. So when you see that bum in the street, don't think, oh, that, was, that bum was gone. What, what a, why is he just polluting the earth? You, instead, think, oh, that poor person. You know, I may not give him anything because he's an alcoholic, maybe by choice, and you know that. And therefore, he needs to go down as lower as a low depth as he can so he can rise up someday. But it doesn't mean that he won't be a good person and a wonderful pure spirit someday. It might take many lives, but you should say in your prayer, like, I hope, I hope you learn from this experience. I hope you do better. And I hope other spirits help you. That is how you need to start changing your, your mind and your attitude. When you're at work and, you know, try not, and at work, what's the most fun thing to do at work? Practically, I know I'm exaggerating a bit, is gossip about other people. If, you know, don't gossip about other people. In fact, use Socrates' rule of three with gossiping. Is it true, right? Is it something good about the person? And is it going to be good for the person you're gossiping to? Is it something that person needs to know? And if it's not any of those, don't say it. Or, you know, try and say something good about someone. Or remove yourself. And I know that's very difficult. But if you can start doing that, first of all, it's amazing. When I was at, when I still worked, I'm retired now, is that people would say, you know, yeah, Brian never says anything bad about anybody, right? And people realized that. And they they admired it. They I'm sure they found it frustrating at times, but once you get into that habit and you stick to it and people know that it becomes much easier. It's all about rewiring this thing inside here. Now, this thing inside here, this physical brain will disappear, but everything in your physical brain through the paraspirit will be put into your, your, your spirit brain. So when you die, all, you won't lose any memories. You'll still have your personality and your character intact. And you'll regain your memories of pre previous lives and what you've done and what, you know, what a character you've been. Mostly, unfortunately, probably on my part, I know I've done some very bad things. So you'll understand that. But anyway, I just want to say God bless to everyone tonight. And remember, every Tuesday, we will have a live stream. It's at uh, 5 o'clock Eastern, all other time zones. And, and please subscribe, hit the like, and, you know, give me comments if you like, and people always give me great ideas. Anyway, God bless.